Welcome to the Real Deal Podcast. I'm Maddie Marshall, and this is brought to you by PaintballAccess.com. And I am stoked to have Travis Lemansky, the uh, pretty much the everything for Infamous. He's like the coach slash psychologist slash owner slash player. Uh, he's the main man behind Los Angeles Infamous and Los Angeles Infamous has as all, well, it's always an interesting story with those guys. Uh, got some great friends on that team, really love that team. But in 2014, they have done something that no team has done before. They came in smashing. They won the first event in Dallas and looked great doing it. And then in the very next event at the Mid-Atlantic Open, they did not play well enough to stay in the champs division. So they have to go down, have gone down to the challengers division. So as it stands right now, they're going to be in the challengers division for Chicago, which is coming up June 20th through the 22nd. It's going to be on paintballaccess.com. So many crazy stories going to be playing out at that event. And one of the main ones, as far as I'm concerned, is Los Angeles infamous. So uh, we're going to be talking about Travis's history. He's got a crazy long history in the sport. A lot of people have no idea how long this guy's been around for and, uh, and you know, how important he is to professional paintball. So, Travis, without further ado, how you feeling, brother? Well, I feel about as good as you can feel. <laughs> you know, in typical infamous fashion, we're, uh, we're trend-setting and uh, trying to be the first team that could win an event and then go to relegation at the very next event. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, I mean, let's just, let's, let's just perch on that for a second. So, um, what is that like, man? I mean, I, I know obviously it's terrible. Uh, so like the worst case scenario. Um, but it's like your worst nightmare. I mean, honestly, it is, you feel sick. It's, it's weird. You know, it's terrible, but after, you know, after a week, you kind of get over it and you're like, all right, well, we got to do what we got to do. And definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation you never want to be in, but it happens. Yeah. I, it, I mean, it's definitely a situation you don't want to be in, but be that you are in this situation. Um, well, let's start with the positive note. Let's talk about how awesome Dallas was for you guys. <laughs> uh, you guys look great. And in 2013, last season, um, infamous underperformed so much talent on that team or on your team. And, uh, but it was kind of a rough year. I mean, you guys did pretty well. Um, but obviously in the sense that you never got relegated, you won all your relegation games, you stayed in the champs league the whole time, threatened at a few events, but it obviously wasn't, you know, the 2012 where you guys won Chicago. Uh, so we're coming up on the two year anniversary of that victory. And that was an awesome victory in overtime, sudden death overtime, Brad McCurley making a name for himself, shooting four Russians to win the tournament. It was great. Um, so in Dallas, you guys, you know, coming into the year, you guys had talked to, you know, talking to you guys and, and, uh, speaking with, with dudes on the team, you were very much all about, look, we're not going to come into this year and be those mid-level bosses again. This team's too good for that. We're going to win tournaments and we're going to win this tournament. And sure enough, you guys did win that tournament. So what was working for you guys in Dallas? Well, you know, we, uh, obviously everyone's like, yo, we worked really hard in the off season, but we really did. I mean, it, we took it upon after world cup. You know, we kind of rode each other all the way through the off season, and we our motto was, you know, no off season. And uh, like our, we have a little group text thing with our team, and that thing was like alive and kicking every day. You know, with guys motivating each other and and pushing each other and stuff like that. And so we came in really hungry, and you know, it, it obviously it worked because you know we won. But uh, I guess you can keep it going all off season, but you got to keep it going in between events too. I I don't think that. Uh, 
you know, our performance at, at MAO is, is obviously a good representation of the team. I think that I don't, I don't know the guys got lazy or, you know, or, or whatever, but you know, if you are not staying on it at this level, like 110%, you know, that's how actually tight it is. Well, and one of the one of the things that's become blatantly apparent, if anyone's watched the webcast or been following, you know, Pro Paintball at its highest level in the PSP, is that all of these other teams that had been either, you know, the quote unquote teams coming up or teams rebuilding or whatever you want to say, things just got crazy this year because, man, there's a lot of good teams out there now. You know, one eight seven is is becoming legit. Obviously, shock making it all the way to the semifinals at the last event on a field that really does not play to their strengths in any way, shape, or form was ridiculous. And uh, and you have you know vicious taking second at the first event. Um, it's just become the parity, the level of of uh, skill and experience, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's so many different ways to break it down, but it just the basic way to put it is that the teams are getting better and it's harder to do well on a consistent basis. And most importantly, especially for the fans, as, as you know, I got to sit up there and, and get the chance to check out all these games, is that now when you look at the schedule, you never know what are going to be the awesome games. You know, any any team could have any, beat any team at this point. Yeah, yeah, you brought up a good point too. Like, uh, I, I actually feel like it did play to certain team strengths, like, like that last layout. I think it was good for Shock. I mean, you know, anytime guys can stay inside and play a more conservative break, um, you know, helps them. And, and it's just, it's not infamous as style at all. I mean, we can, we can stay inside for a little while, but then we are going to make the move and that's just, not conducive to that style. So, well, it's, but, I mean, I think it did, it obviously played out for shot in shock's favor because they did well, but historically speaking, and it, when I say historically, I mean like last year, uh, those guys were, they were terrible at closing points and they were not good at playing a, a, a refined version of paintball. They were amazing at getting to the fifties. I mean, hell, uh, teams might as well just let them start in the 50 yard line bunkers before. <laughs> Um, but it was, that's what I, that's why I think it was such a big breakout event for shock though. You know, they took third and didn't make it to the finals. Um, but still their ability to transcend their game was made apparent in that tournament on a field layout that, you know, again, historically speaking, you look at them and be like, Oh, shock's going to play terrible on this layout. It's, it's going to be super tactical and, you know, they're going to have, they're going to try to cannibal out wide and they're going to get chopped up, but they were able to get, to get it done. But it was looking at that layout, I thought that teams like your team with the, all of the, um, you know, with the, you guys great, got a great coaching staff. You got, you know, Dan Wake, Zach Wake's pops. You got Greg Posey in the mix now who had played for shock and a lot of big teams over the years. Um, who, you know, is homies with you from back in the day, way back in the day. And I can't wait to get to the back into the day portion <laughs> of the podcast because you have such a rad history. And for people out there that don't know Travis's history, I mean, Travis has played pro since, um, the animals were walking in twos and Noah's flood came around. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, he, he we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but we're talking about, you know, Detroit Revolution, talking about Image, talking about Avalanche during the heyday, Image during the heyday, and then help start Infamous, and then all the way to c the current day, and you're the guy, the reason that Infamous still exists. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so, but yeah, on that field layout, I thought that Infamous, I thought you guys were going to stand a chance to be in the hunt because though it was this you know, rather slow tactical layout that required a, a lot of, but look at what you need on there. You need gunfighting. Good check. You guys got that. You need smart heads up players to be able to get out. Why when the, the timing presents itself, boom, you guys got that. 
and the ability to come up with a complex game plan. You had all of the different variables I felt checkmarked to, and you're coming off the big win from the first event with the momentum, you know? So it just, I, I thought that, I just thought you guys would do better than you did. Yeah. Yeah. So did we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we tried a few things and, you know, honestly, like we, uh, you know, we were, I did a lot of looking back at video recently of the, uh, the last tournament and it was a, it was a little bit tighter than, than I actually thought. I was like, oh man, we got killed. But, you know, going back and looking at it, it was like a one point swing here, a one point swing there. It was, it was, uh, it was tighter than it is. And this, it goes to show you like how tight the competition really is. Um, but, but yeah, I guess, uh, you know, it all comes down to decisions. You know, I mean, you make a, a poor decision here and a poor decision there, and that's the, the entire game. So, were there any games that stood out as either, on the pendulum swing either way like okay that's that was how infamous can play this particular you know like on the good side and then were there any games that we were like oh my god that was just uh, somebody threw a cannon or someone threw a grenade out there and killed us all this was terrible I mean, well yeah i mean out? i think you know we started slow okay so uh, i'm obviously i don't make excuses you know we we play bad it's it's on us you know if we're not prepared it's on us and uh and we made some poor decisions in the aftershock game and uh you know, and it cost us, but, uh, we came back the very next game and I thought we had a kind of a bright spot with the Ironman. We went down a point. Um, I think we tied it with, you know, under 10 seconds. We, we tied the game up into an overtime point. And then again, that field layout was like, you know, Hey, Ironman, are you going to make a move? No, we're not going to make a move either and be stupid and lose this game. So we ended up, you know, going to a full stalemate. So we're like, all right, well, we need to win our next two. And, it just happens that you're playing art chaos and, uh, you know, uh, damage. So I'm like, okay, well, here we go. And another shining moment, I guess, was, was art chaos. I mean, we played really well against them, but it seemed like everyone else did too. So I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Everybody to got to play good against art chaos. They yeah. played, I mean, you guys did not play great. You obviously didn't play up to your, your, you know, up to snuff, but, uh, dude, art chaos really struggled i mean can you enlighten us with any clarity of vision that you have on the art chaos situation i mean how do you because i mean they stomped everyone they curb stomped people in the challengers division on the way up so much so that Fedorov, even in an interview had said something like people were harping on him about this but he was just being honest he's like oh it really wasn't that hard it wasn't hard for them in the challengers division but then they come yeah. up into the champs division and they and now they're getting curb stomped yeah i mean it's i don't know i I would say a little bit has to do with that, that field layout for them because individually, like they have a top five guys that are like seriously good. So, um, but being able to trap those guys inside and not let those guys actually, you know, do what they're capable of doing definitely hurt them. So, you know, anybody can shoot lanes on the break and hold lanes, but you know, their strengths are obviously being outside, being creative, making those down the wire gunfights and, and and then, you know, flying down the snake and that kind of thing. But you couldn't really do it on this field. So I feel like that kind of hurt them. Well, and I think another thing that it might have highlighted and maybe a chink in their armor moving forward, if, if you know, when they get to the top levels, particularly depending on the layout, but uh, is that they didn't really seem to have an answer for their issue, you know, and they, di they didn't really seem to be able to change their game plan up enough to start contending with these teams and it, and they're, you know, their grave just got bigger and bigger and bigger as the event progressed on. Um, whereas, like, at least saw some other teams that were 
that weren't kind of playing the layout all that great uh, started to at least change things up a little bit. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, we scouted them a little bit, in, you know, in the practice before the, you know, the day before the event, and some of the stuff I saw them doing with Bear Hunter up the gut and, you know, staying double and triple on the inside cans, I was like, well, that's going to be their go-to. Everything else they're showing us is garbage. And uh, they did the up and over a couple times, and it looked good to me, but then they got away from it and kept trying to go out to those corners, and, and you're going to get dice going out there. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they didn't adjust, but it seemed like, it seemed like they knew what to do at certain points, and then other points they just kept forcing that outside issue. So looking forward to the upcoming Chicago event, PSP here. Historically, PSP Chicago is, I think, the second hardest event to win after the World Cup. Do you agree? Yeah, it's, uh, um, I mean, it's hard for me to say. I've won that event like 10 times, but, <laughs> but it is a hard one. <laughs> okay, well, for everyone not named Travis Mansky is, uh, yeah, you know, no, I would I'm say. Not, I'm not, no, I'm not being that guy. Hey, but no, that's. I've won Chicago a couple times myself, but it was a bitch to win. <laughs> I remember yeah, it being tough. Yeah, Cup's the hardest, and then, uh, yeah, and then probably Chicago. Because, I mean, there's so many teams there. Everyone's had, you know, a few events under their belt. The uh, the Midwest teams are kind of like out of the snow thing, so they've had you know a few months to practice, and everybody's polished up and uh, good to go. So that's a tough one for sure. Yeah. So heading into the Chicago event, how do you feel um, about? I mean, well, how's the team morale? I mean, I guess that's question number one. You know, how's everyone been taking this uh, been taking this loss? Um, everybody's pretty fired up, you know, and there's obviously nobody's satisfied or you know excited to play challengers but we know what we got to do and we're not taking it lightly obviously we're uh you know everybody's working during the week we're working on the weekends and uh we're coming in as prepared as we can be did damien retire did not retire <laughs> i'm only asking because i watched that uh the little documentary that empire's been doing and he, i heard him and i quote uh you know there are guys on this team that will quit paintball if we get relegated down to the challengers division so i'm just wondering if he retired no no i think he uh you know it, it, the challengers thing is there's two people are going up and two people are going down every event every so event. yeah it's like you, you play with fire long enough and and you're gonna get burned so you know it's just a matter of time before you put yourself in that position and you're gonna go down i mean last event it was heat or damage i mean those are two awesome teams that you know, one of them had to go down. It's just that's just the nature of this game. Have you? Yeah, it really is. With the since the champs and challengers started last season, I God, it's just to me gotten a lot more entertaining. Uh, <laughs> it, it's 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 and I mean I, I can only imagine what it's like mentally to play those relegation games. But and well, I, it's stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, I could imagine. Um, but Jesus, it makes it really entertaining for everyone to watch. Um, because you never know what's going to happen, especially with the way that everyone's gotten so good, you know? So it's, I mean, it, it's great for the game. I think, I just think it's, it's great for the game because it does create a dynamic tension that did not exist before, um, before that was around. And also it does give, um, teams like, you know, Moscow Red Legion. It, it's interesting because everyone seems like it's the end of the world when they get, if you're a top level team, when you get relegated down, but that happened for a reason. It's not like, you know, you just had one game and then that happened. That was a whole weekend of, you know, four prelim games that got you into that position and then a game you have to actually lose in order for that to happen. Um, and so, and I wouldn't say this about your guys' team, 
um, though this might finally maybe sink the lesson in of, you know, because Infamous has been such an, I, I'm, they, I love watching your guys' team, one, because I know all the guys on the team, so I know personally the struggles that they've gone through in order to actually get to that point in their careers and within the framework of the year, but also is that I just never know what I'm going to see out of you guys. I don't know if Infamous is going to be out smashing everybody or if they're not, or if you guys are going to be playing inconsistent. It's just, I never know what I'm going to see and it doesn't ever seem to have anything to do with how much you guys prepare because I know you guys are always on the grind. I mean, I'm constantly seeing, you know, like gym pitchers from all the dudes who go to the gym all the time and hearing about how much grind, how much grind's going on. So I know the training's going in. Um, and I know you have great leadership. I'm just, I just never know what I'm going to see out of you guys, which makes it, like I said, pretty damn entertaining. Cause I'm like, well, is infamous going to smash people or is so, what's going to happen here? I think yeah. that on this layout though, I, I, I don't know. This I think, is our layout. Yeah. Right so I totally agree, man. I saw this layout and I was like, okay, certain teams are really going to love this. I mean, have you, what, what do you think of the layout so far? We love it. I mean, uh, so far, you know, we've had a, you know, two weekends, I guess, on it and it's been, uh, you know, obviously without, you know, giving away the keys to the castle, it, it is, it's fast. You can be where you want to be immediately. And that plays right into our strengths because, you know, we, we've went out in the off season and, and got those weapons to where we can kind of, we can be in the fifties and seconds. We can be, you know, over here in the snag. We can, we've always had that kind of up the gut thing going on. Oh, absolutely. But, but we had to, uh, you know, we had to go out and get a couple of guys in the off season, like the Bornsteins and, and people that we could actually play two lines because what happened to us last year was we ended up roll, riding those like same seven guys and, uh, you become pretty predictable. Yeah. And, uh, I think they would go, Oh, well, here's Nikki, here's Bobby, here's Damien, you know, Oh, Brad's over there. Drewby's over there. This is what they're doing, you know? So, uh, we became too predictable. And so now we kind of run like three lines and, uh, that's kind of mixed our game up a little bit and, you know, going to this style of a layout is going to be really good for us. It, it, I think you guys have been, or the depth that you've added has absolutely created a situation where you're going to be, um, very much more hard to scout because now you have at least three dudes that can play the snake one. Uh, right. at, at least, I mean, you could argue that it's even deeper than that. And, and then it diversifies your attack. And then also, you know, not just in the front position, that one, uh, also in the twos and the threes, the back and the mid guys. You know, there's just so much shuffling that you you can have at your disposal now. How are you? Uh, how are you dealing with that as a coach? Well, I mean, that's something that having depth is an absolute dream, dude. I mean, I can throw Zach, Brad, Wake, Drewby, anybody I want into that first snake position. And, you know, we have three weekends now to like look at it and see how it works and then go on the other side and have them do both ways. And to be able to like analyze who's making the right decisions and who's putting us in the best position to win. And then what guy is getting into the juicy spot to get those kills, right? Because anybody can get in the spot, but if they're not producing, then that's not the right guy for that spot. So having depth is huge. Yeah, because you got patient back from his injuries. Uh, you got Zach Wake back from his injury slash, you know, trying to figure out what he wanted to do, <laughs> you know, trying trying to sharpen his sword, I guess was the quick way to say it. Um, but, you know, we did, I uh, love the podcast actually I did with Zach Wake. And if you're out there in internet land and you haven't heard the Zach Wake podcast, you definitely should check it out because it's such a fascinating look into the, you know, head of a guy who 
really is actively trying to fix um, the mental shackles that have kept him from living truly up to his potential, which I really felt he did at that first event and really helped you guys win. Um, and I, and that, that was such a dramatic turnaround. I mean, that happened so fast. It was, I mean, he literally came off last season where he was on X Factor, gets cut from X Factor for getting too many penalties. And you guys wouldn't let him on the team back or back on the team just because, you know, of different previous issues. But, you, I mean, it was kind of – it was really tough for you guys. Um, but then he goes to X-Factor, gets cut, uh, hurts himself uh, in Europe and, you know, t- tears his hamstring, fights through the whole – so he can't even play cup, fights through the whole off season, And then the very first event is the MVP of the finals and helps you guys win. Like, it doesn't yep. get any more storybook than that. Yeah, I mean, that's a dude. Like, obviously, I've known Zach's capable for a lot of years. He's been playing on the same team as me, you know, alongside of me. I know the guy is ultra talented. You know, he's fast. He's got that killer instinct. He gets it. Um, His gunfighting is, when he is sharp, he is so sharp. So I knew what he was capable of, but at some point with the penalties back in the day, you're like, dude, you're, you're hurting us. I mean, no matter how good you are, the penalty thing is killing us. And you know, he made his decisions and he's like, you know, I want to go try out for dynasty. And you know, he wanted to do his own thing. And so we, we parted ways and it wasn't like there was hard feelings one way or another, but you know, I always knew what Zach was capable of if, if he could just get his head straight and, and do this. And so we talked a lot, you know, in the off season and I talked to his dad a couple of times and it was kind of like, I just felt like he was ready, you know, and he showed it by, you know, last year he came to Riverside and he played with the D1 squad. And that's a big ego check for somebody that's been in the pro division for, you know, since years was, and years yeah, and been on top of the game. 15 so, or whatever it was. And we went yeah. Pro. So for him to go play D1 just to say, hey, I'm dedicated to this team and I want to work my way up. You know, that was a that was a, you know, kind of showed me what he was made of. So I think he had his attitude had changed and. You know, no matter what someone says, you know, dude, I've, I've changed. You know, you gotta like, you gotta show it before I, <laughs> we can actually believe you. But he he uh, came out, was working hard, and it obviously showed he's he's playing great. Well, it just goes to show you what's possible in this sport. You know, I, I mean, as somebody that has known Zach Wake for as long as you have, and been a guy who's been working with him for as long as you've worked with him, to see him emerge as that brash, headstrong teenager who was, you know, got a lot of penalties, was hard to work with go play for a bunch of different teams uh, over time. And then, you know, because he, he when in the podcast, he was all, he was like, look, man, I always wanted to play with Infamous. Infamous are my boys. That's why I feel where's my home. I mean, I got a lot of friends on a lot of other teams and had a lot of great adventures, and I'm glad I did. But, you know, I was just wanted to get back on Infamous and, and be that guy that would help us out. Um, how cool is that to kind of see that evolution, that mental evolution? Because that's really hard to do, man. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I feel like at the same time as Zach kind of grew up, Infamous sort of grew up too. You know, he's like, you know, we're a young team from the leadership down. I mean, and, uh, you know, it, he he left when things were a little volatile and things weren't working out. But, you know, at, he went and he did his thing. And at the same time, we kind of learned a lot too. So I think everyone coming back at the right time kind of worked out. And how, I mean, how's that been for you making the transition? You know, the same thing kind of Rusty Glaze right now is that, I mean, just last year you were a player and then when Todd left to go coach Vicious, 
kind of put you in a predicament. You're like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy running the show and I'm really good at shooting people off the brakes still. I'm one of the best in the business at it, which is a huge asset for any team to have. But at the same time, you know, we, the, the sport itself started to go away from those home bunkers, those back bunkers. And, yeah. and then also you had, you know, all these guys that were kind of looking to you like, Travis, what are we going to do? Travis, what player, you know, what are we, gonna, you know, so I mean, how, how has that been for you as a, you know, guy that's been playing pro since what, 97, 98? Yeah, I don't know the exact year. I mean, back when I started playing pro, they had like amateur or pro. So you, <laughs> you were one that, or the other. <laughs> I say that all the time. And people were like, yeah, you know, how, how many divisions are there in paintball? I'm like, well, there's like, I, oh, if you count pump and the three, this this other one, there's maybe eight or whatever. And I'm like, man, I remember back when it was, you were, it was either pro or amateur. And that was it. Yeah, like, <laughs> like good or bad. And you played the pros. Like at one point you had to play them. And then if you beat them, then you were like, we're better than the pros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, I forgot what the question was, but the transition, your, your transition oh, yeah, from, yeah, okay. from being kind of like a, you know, a leader slash player to being, um, you know, to being basically kind of, you know, you're the guy in charge. That was tough. I mean, I, I wasn't ready to retire. I thought that I had a little bit of gas left in the tank, but, um, the, the Todd thing caught me by surprise. I mean, he, you know, he came to me, Hey, I got to do what I got to do for my business. You know, I got to f- focus more on Raza. And I was like, okay, I understand. But it came within like two weeks of the event. And I still thought, Hey, I'm going to go out here and play. And <laughs> so I would go out there and I'd play a couple points and I'd run off and guys are like, what are we doing? And I'm like, Oh my God, what are we doing? So, <laughs> You're like, I don't, I don't know actually what we're, we're going to do. Yeah. It's so hard to, to do both. And like, you can't really see the game. You can't tell what they're doing. You can't, it's just, it's impossible to be honest. You you have to like do one or the other. And, and as much as I still liked the game and, and felt like I still had some stuff to add, um, I had to kind of put myself in a position where I could help the team more. And I felt that was, you know, more in the coaching role. And so, yeah, it's been rough. Don't really like it, but, uh, <laughs> but it's good. I have a great, great group of guys and, and guys are, they're hungry and they're eager and they're all willing to listen. So that's cool. How is it? How, I mean, either tough or joyful or uh, uh, gray hair making. Is it to coach a bunch of guys like you have on Infamous? Actually, hold on. I got I got a question before that one. I can't wait to hear that answer. But um, because you know the magic that Travis Mansky had, uh, you know, especially like 2012. Like I, when I would talk to Todd, you know, because it's I mean, I, you know, it's like you know, Infamous would have a lot more mobile guys than you. But he's mm-hmm. like, dude, I can count on Travis shooting a dude off the break like 80 percent of the time. And that's no joke. Like that is so hard to do for people. I mean, a lot of people like even you yourself said, oh, well, anyone can, you know, shoot a lane and anyone can, you know, do this. And I, I but I would counter that, man. I mean, I first of all, I've been in that position. So and I was pretty good at it. But I I, I understand the the skill and kind of uh, of, I mean, yes, it's, you just whip your gun around and, and shoot it to do running out and, you're, and your paintballs <laughs> are shooting, your gun shooting fast, blah, 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 blah. But the fact that you were so good at that still, I got to ask the question because there's a lot of people out there that want to know the trick to that. I mean, is it just all the years that you spent behind the gun and your ability to know where that first couple shots are going to go? Or was it that you were still practicing uh, that a bunch when you were go to practice? I mean, what, 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 what was the, the, the quantifiable thing that made you able to get that high of a percentage off the break of kills that would make a really good coach like Todd with much more mobile options and more aggressive guys in an aggressive game still put you back there to get that kill? Like, what's your trick? Well, uh, I had to say, like, obviously, 
none of us started in that role. We all started up front. I, I remember Maddie when you were a front guy in Iron Man, and I was a front guy in Image. Yep. And, and and as you know, as the world turns and you get older, uh, your body just says, "Hey, dude, I can't be diving into a Dorito or a snake every point." You know, you're just you get a little slower, a little more beat up, and, and the whole thing. So I had to kind of evolve my game, and I learned really early on that if I was going to play a back spot, that I had to be you know, able to shoot guys on the break to help my team because I'm not in the snake shooting guys. I'm not, you know, flying down the Dorito shooting guys. I have to do it in that first second of the game. So, I mean, I practiced it and drilled it. I mean, my team will tell you that I was the first guy out there and the last guy at the end of the day, just shooting cases of paint, just, you know, breaking out. And a lot of it is muscle memory. And there's a lot of other tricks of the trade too. I mean, there's, I don't know. We have like, inside our team we have like little terms that we call it, but the whip and certain things where it's that one two three ball that kills that guy and it's you kill him in that first like couple steps so that was the trick and i was just like trying to keep myself in the game you know and that's all it was was it did it also have for me at least when i was in that situation i would always to me it was it was a mental thing too i mean yes physically the act of being able to get that gun around with a certain you know uh height of speed and, um, you know, a certain trajectory to the ball and the muscle memory of the motion and the timing of the start and all that plays into, into a, a huge factors. But to me, that was kind of like mechanics. To me, it was like focusing on that, on like the mental side of seeing that ball in my head blow up on the lane I'm trying to shoot or like visualizing that. Mm-hmm. I, I would do that a lot. Would you do that too? Absolutely. I mean, the being able to mentally visualize it is not just an on-the-break thing. That's like you're playing Dorito to Dorito. You want to be able to be totally behind cover, visualize that guy's like, you know, the last time you, you took a snapshot of that guy in your brain, he was like posted up on you, you know, high right. So you know when you come out and back in, you let one ball go and you shoot right there. It's just it's a mental image of what happens, and, you know, that works more than it doesn't. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is just, I mean, honestly, it's – there's, there's there's like a full science of how fast a paintball can get down the field and how many steps can a fast guy take and how many steps can a slow guy take and exactly where you're putting that ball on the backside of the net. So it, it's a whole thing. But Would you do you know, it per, like, if, okay, if it's, say, Fedorov's running out to the corner or flip it up to, like, say, um, you know, somebody a little slower, would you then adjust mentally and both physically adjust your shot depending on who you were lining up against? 100% because, you know, player per player, I mean, it may have been, you know, a super small guy who's he takes that like one step drop where he's hip sliding and he's super low or it may be a Fedorov who everywhere he goes, he's running and shooting. So he's a little bit higher. But, you know, and then, you know, you can take into account, you know, a guy that may drag a little bit slower because he's slower or, you know, whatever. But it absolutely depends on who you're going against. So let's get to the whole coaching infamous uh, mindset and how that's been. Because just like you said, you know, I mean, the the team has evolved over the years uh, a lot. And you yourself, you know, as a leader, I mean, back in the day when infamous first began, we'll get to history in a second. But in the current incarnation of infamous, you know, you now all have to kind of evolve as a coach, too. And you're after, you know, that win in Dallas. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that have coached pro paintball teams to wins in the PSP 
in the champions division, it's really hard to do. So, and it requires a ton of different stuff. It's not just game plans, you know, it's not just variations of game plans. It's, you know, interpersonal relationships. It's real, you know, having the, the, the whole setup crew behind you. It's, um, all that sort of this logistics. It's all that sort of stuff. I mean, so what's it, what is it like coaching infamous? You know, I mean, what's it like dealing with all those ruffians? It's like a, uh, prison guard, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are nuts. The Damians and the Brads and the Nickies, there is some very diverse personalities. Um, but, you know, it, all joking aside, and like the guys are are pretty loose and pretty funny, and sometimes a little too loose. But everybody on this team takes paintball one hundred percent seriously, and that's their business. So they take their business seriously. And, and if I catch them slipping, you know, I'll, you know, it, as always, sometimes I got to be a jerk and I got to put them in check. But I feel like that's you know, your job as a coach is to kind of get guys going and. And stay on them a little bit, but uh, you can't be everybody's buddy. But uh, you know, but, it's not. But you are. But you are though. You know, which has got to. I mean, that's why it's. Which I think people want to fight for you on that team because they understand the lengths in which you've gone to to try to keep that team together and keep it competitive. And you are everyone's buddy. But now you're also that like voice of authority as well too. And I think that's the gray area where guys out there that may be running teams maybe want a little insight on. You know, because I think that that's. You know, you have found success doing that, and um, that's really well, really hard. There's there's quite a. I mean, most practices, even to this day, I will suit up and I'll go out and play a few points. And it's it's not that I'm like I still you know I want to play next to you guys or I want to get my points in or whatever. I think uh, I still understand the game better than a lot of people, and I've been around the game a lot longer. Um, and a lot of times, I'm just trying a few things. So when I go and tell somebody. Hey, do this. They know that when I tell them that, that that really is possible, and that that's the right thing to do because you know I've already done it myself, or I've you know just been looking at this and and I've played a few games, so I know this is possible. So I think a lot of it has to do with uh, being so close to being in the game that um, guys respect what I say is you know this will work or or whatever. Because a lot of times. I, I think in, in other teams, the coach will say, hey, go do this. And you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'll go do something else. <laughs> yeah. That ain't going to work. I'm not doing that. You're yeah. crazy. Who brought this yeah, guy no, in I, here? I totally did that, bro. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. And then how important do you think is it to uh, to allow the guys to be themselves? I mean, yes, there needs to be order. Yes, there needs to be a regimen. Yes, hard work needs to happen. But the guys on your team are pretty hardworking and in in their own personal drives, it seems like, but you also are dealing with a pirate crew of really charismatic personalities. Um, so, I mean, do you think it's okay to let guys blow steam off a little bit? Cause some people I think need that. And what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? no, no, a hundred percent. I mean, off the field. Yeah. I, I totally allow the guys to do for the most part what they want to do. You know, there's, there's obviously boundaries that you can't cross, but you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, you want to go have fun, go have fun. But, you know, let's keep it light or whatever. And then, uh, but on the field, you know, it's, there's no joke, dude. If, if we say, Hey, you're supposed to go to the can and look left and you don't look left. It is like you're punished for a year. So it's not <laughs> <laughs> on, on the field. There's, there's no loose cannons. Yeah. And it's, uh, and that's, I guess that that's definitely important. It's just knowing all the dudes on your team. And I was just wondering like what your what your head was thinking about that, but knowing where you came up, that totally makes sense. Um, 
and, and I also think that the Bornsteins were a huge pickup for your guys' team. A lot of people don't know the Bornsteins as well as they even know some of the, the guys that haven't gotten as much, you know, ink on your team. Um, but uh, but I, I, I just don't think those are real solid pickups. Like, how did that how did that go down? Um, you know, we were looking at dudes in the off season and, and my personal agenda was to, to make us a little bit deeper so that we could run two lines and, and we were almost a hundred percent a hybrid, you know, when I say a hybrid line, I mean like we had a solid five and we would rotate in two dudes last year. So that was like very, you know, like I said earlier, predictable. So I wanted to get into, to have two lines again and then to go to a hybrid line based off who was performing on those two lines. And we looked at those two dudes and, you know, we're not the richest team out there by, by any means, but we, uh, you know, I feel like we're good. We're competitive. We have a lot to offer as far as, you know, you go to a tournament with us, you can, there's a really good chance you could win, you know, where some other teams, you may go there and they may pay you or whatever, but you're just gonna, you know, you're not really going to do much all year. It's just going to be a whole thing. So. We have, we have certain things going for us versus other things. But anyways, we, we found those guys and Jason, I knew Jason back from, you know, I lived in California for 10 years and I played against him here and there. And I was like, this kid's really good, but he kind of got out of the sport. Um, and his brother stayed in, his brother was, you know, hanging out with the impact dudes and he was, you know, playing over there a little bit. I don't know that he was playing as much as he would like, but you know, we, we always respected both those guys and, um, I reached out to Corey when he left the Ironman and he's like, you know, I appreciate the offer, but I'm going over to impact. And I said, all right. And then, uh, in the off season, you know, we reached out again and both those guys are available. So the rest is history. Did, uh, were they already like for sure in, or did you have to take them out to a practice first or a tryout? Cause that, that happens sometimes. And I've seen it go both ways. Um, what's you know, your, what's your, as a leader, cause a lot of, some leaders are like, some owners are like, well, all right, well, they want to play for us. Like, they got to come out to a tryout, even if it's like a formality. <laughs> and some people are like, yeah, we're, hell yeah, we're picking that guy up. Yeah, you know, that goes back to, to me being just fresh out of the game. You know, like, I know the guys right now, like, I know that that pro level, who's hot and who's not. Um, but I can tell you both those guys are, they're a force. And, you know, when some of my guys even were like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't really know these guys. Are they any good? And I'm like, Dude, trust me, they're they're fine. So there was no tryout, but you know I knew, and then I was able to just tell my guys, and they just believed me because, you know, they 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 trust me. It's been I've been on the round for a long time, so they know that I'm not just gonna I pick them up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> and how do you uh, going back to like because you are deep? So well, some teams out there have a ton of dudes. They have you know yeah. twelve guys on their team. Um, and this is, you know, an issue for teams like the Ironman right now who are trying to figure out who their dudes are. So when you're at practice, is there a certain way that you go about figuring, okay, it's patience in the snake first on this layout, he's killing it. But if you have, or it's going to be Drew or whoever, I mean, how do you go about trying to figure out, is it groups of guys like, oh, well, you know, Callie and, and Wake play great together. So, or they have been for this past two practices, they're going on that side. I mean, throw darts at a um, wall like how, how do you, how do you <laughs> yeah no I, I definitely go through i ask all my guys i'm like hey um and and i ask them more than just once a year i'm i ask them at literally every weekend i'm like so who you like playing with you know what are you doing you know do you like this do you like that how's the snake working out would you rather play doritos i i constantly am asking my guys stuff and you know and then I, 
it's an open door thing too. Like they can come to me and be like, dude, I really hate the snake. Can I just please play Doritos? And, and that was the case with like everybody at the last event because <laughs> that snake side was so bad. You couldn't even make it up to the first bunker. So like my whole team was like, dude, I don't want to play the snake side, but <laughs> I got, no, I got that from Spica too. Kyle Spica from dynasty was just came back from a practice and uh, I saw him at the house I was living at and he was like, I'm like, Oh, how'd the field play? You know, how are you looking out there? And he just looked at me like, <laughs> what do you think bro you know (laughs) i was like how was practice you know he's like the little midget one awesome dude for dynasty on the snake side and and he was just like i hate this layout i'm probably not going to play i might even sit myself i had a terrible practice this sucks get me a new layout stat and i was like sorry bro you get you know i guess it's going to be you know other dudes times to shine uh but yeah Yeah. so i can only imagine how, how that conversation went with all the coaches yeah. No. And Drewby, Drewby on my team is very, uh, very methodical and very thoughtful as a player. And he, uh, but he loves Doritos, right? I mean, that's his, I think that's his natural home, but we've used him on the snake side a ton. Yeah. But, but this year, you know, we have, you know, Brad and we've got Zach Patient, Zach Wig. We've got all these like, you know, firecrackers over there. And then, uh, all those dudes gained to me, I mean, minus Brad, but Brad was playing more of an inside slot anyhow. But the, the Zachs came to me and they're like, dude, you know, we'd like to be over on the Dorito side. Let's let's check that out over there. <laughs> and so I, I had to put Drewby over there, and Drewby's like, "What are you doing, man?" But uh, you know, it's just it's just how it is. It's just, sometimes you need to put guys where they can perform, and uh, and basically wherever the team's gonna benefit is is what you got to do. And so it's it's tough. Uh, that that was a curveball for us for sure. Well, curveball. Well, that at bat's over, and now we got the one in front of you. Who's, who's uh, who? So, who out of the roster was Jones in to play the snake side for this field layout coming up here? Um, oh, dude, Wake is frothing. Is right he now. just he, yeah, chomping at the bit? Yeah, and and to be honest, Brad too. Brad's like he loves it. So, um, we're good. I mean, patient will play wherever. He, he's he's pretty uh, he's pretty open. If you're like, hey, dude, run up the middle, he'll just go do that. But, um. But yeah, I would say Wake and, and McCurley were just fired up to play that snake. At, on a team full of versatility, I think that Infamous is arguably one of the most versatile teams in the league, in the sport. On a team full of versatility, uh, who would you say is your most versatile guy? Mm. As, a, as a coach, as the coach. Uh, I would say Bobby or Drew. Uh, both those guys can be... I almost started this question off with without, and you can't say Bobby Avilas because that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bobby or Drew, they, both those guys can pretty much play anywhere. Um, I don't really play Bobby up the gut very much, but Bobby will play, you know, a fast Torito. He'll play a number two on a, you know, dancing in the blind spot, or he'll play first in the snake. So he's, uh, you know, he's great like that. I mean, Bobby and I, we've been together for a long time. Who would you say is your most aggressive mindseted guy on a team full of aggressive aggressive dudes? Uh probably patient. Really? <laughs> yeah, patient or patient or wake. I mean, both those guys are they'll be in snake four in a second if you let them. <laughs> yeah, that is true. How about clutch? Who's the most clutch guy? Hmm. Damien pops up right now, but uh you know, I can't, I can't let go of my veteran Nikki. I mean, he, he sometimes just surprises me with how clutch he is. 
How about, uh, yeah, Nikki is, well, Nikki's got one of those crazy stories. I mean, you and I were talking um, before we, podcast time about how cool it was to see a guy like Nikki, who, if, if anyone hasn't seen Heroes for a Day, go watch it immediately, um, from Monkey with Gun <laughs> back in the day. But that it's a, that story is essentially the story of Nikki Cuba moving from really inconsistent, hot-headed front guy to clutch utility player who you can put almost anywhere and will learn from his mistakes as fast as somebody can physically do it, you know, um, which is like really cool to see. So, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that you would pick Nikki because he's been down that road for so long now. Um, but again, that's what's cool about the sport, man. This sport puts you mentally in positions where you are forced to evolve. You have no choice if you want right. to continue your trajectory forward. I mean, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I mean, if if you're not looking like at yourself as a player every single layout and just going, dude, you know, this is what I'm capable of. This is where I'm going to go and this and that. I mean, your coach may have some input, but you also have to give him input and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling this. I'm not feeling this. and if he's like, look, man, you're gonna be the you're gonna be the first in snake. That's your job, you know. You better you better have your ass in the gym and <laughs> yeah. you know, run it with a parachute or something. So heading into the next event, which again June 20 through the 22nd on Painful Access. Now, uh, who are who's impressing you right now in the league? Who you know? I've been talking about Vicious and 187 and Shock, and I mean, there's a lot of good teams out. Obviously, Dynasty, but you know, I mean, Dynasty is you know they. <laughs> they're the most successful paintball team on earth for a reason. But who's yeah. who are you looking at right now? I mean, it could be player wise. It could be any of the coaches, players, teams. Um, anyone really standing out to you that you you know think like, oh, that's that's awesome. That guy just really evolved, or oh, that guy's still crushing it. You know, um, I I, I had a lot of respect for the damage guys. I think that they do a really good job of uh, you know playing as a team and they can play with the brakes on or they can play, you know, flying around pretty fast. Um, I would say this is going to be a good layout for them. I agree. Uh, um, Dynasty, you know, same thing. I think uh, I knew Dynasty was going to play really well at the last event because I was like, those guys have such a solid core and being able to play inside out is like right up their alley. So this, you know, I don't know. At this particular event, uh, that snake is, I feel like you need to have like three or four snake guys that can be in snake four, head in the dirt, playing really fast, sometimes required long points. And so you're going to have to have a super deep snake on this field. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Dynasty, you know, feels the same way on this field, but uh, I don't know. I guess I like, I kind of like damage on this layout, to be honest. And that's just a, that's just an early throw my bet out there, but. They uh, they've got a lot of weapons over there. So, well, let's take Dynasty and Damage off the table. But, but since you're not actually in the Champions Division for this, because you know normally when you ask guys are just like us, bro. Why would you even ask, dude? We're gonna win every game. Yeah, we're the shit. Um, but so other than those two teams, who do you think has an outside shot? I mean, do you think Shock has an outside shot at winning this event? No. What about that's, that's not to be you know condescending or whatever i just think that they this is a particular layout where you need to have a lot of different looks and a lot of guys that can you know play a certain position and i think they have a little bit of that but I, they don't have the the full package on that um I'm trying to think who else would be what about vicious you think vicious has a chance 
Because their, you know, their core has been really stepping up, and they got some new guys on that team. They're really hungry and, and putting some numbers up too. You know, I have respect for those guys, but I think that they rely a lot on their laning, and this particular field is kind of the opposite. Um, I would say if you ran to the snake six times, you could probably make it three or four times. So, um, even with Travis Slamansky shooting at you, running to the snake. Dude, I looked at that. I looked at that side on the break, and I'm like, "Yeah, we could, we could do it." But you have to dedicate. You have to, you have to do a lot of things to shoot that guy. Uh, and 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 Dorito one could be hot. <laughs> the real corner. I mean, there's a this this particular layout is because if you look at it right, the A is sideways, so you can't really set your feet. You have to be kind of moving and shooting, and so look, you're and looking for incoming streams. That's huge, too. right? Yeah. So your 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 percentage of uh, killing guys on the break goes down a decent amount. And then even if you're sprinting to those outside cans and shooting, there's still a lot of pins and stuff in the way, like the cross shots and stuff like that. So don't get me wrong. Guys are going to die on the break no matter what, especially by the time Sunday comes around. But I just think the guys that rely on shooting on the break are going to have a little tougher time than, than guys that can kind of do it all. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it, man. I can't wait to see this, uh, this tournament, I always love the tournaments anyway, just because, you know, knowing all these stories, there's just so much going on for every single team. Um, oh, damn, can't forget about Impact. Dude, Impact is hot right now, coming off those two Millennium wins. And uh, and then that's a team that, you know, I mean, you've been through rebuilds before. And, I mean, what do you think about Impact? I think their ability to, to start doing pretty well right away is is pretty awesome, considering that they kind of, they went, they didn't go for, I mean, yeah, they got Rainey. Um but they did, you know. But they got Ryan Martin, Danny Park, and um, and Nick Laval. So they didn't really go the like the veteran route. The okay, these are solid, proven vets. Yeah, I think that uh, although they are coming off a couple of hot wins, um, I feel like last layout you you would have looked at on paper and said, "Dude, this is Dynasty. This is Impact. You know, this is Damage." This particular layout, I would say, you know, Justin is seriously one of the best snake players in the game but you know he's i think even last event he was over on the dorito side like dude everyone wanted to play the doritos last <laughs> event but it's like uh you know honestly a lot rides on him this event you know for their success because that that snake to me is like you know it's huge and if he's gonna go over there and and do damage and do work then they'll be fine but if not uh i don't think that as a entire unit they play as fast as this field can play you know, when we were talking earlier about having as a coach to figure out who's going to play with who, I got a deep roster now, I've got all these lines, when am I going to play these guys, who's going to get hot, I got a bunch of, you know, potential, I got stars on the team already, but out of those stars, who is going to be hot now, um, it made me think of the Ironman, you know, they, it's a much different situation than what you're dealing with, um, as they brought all those royalty guys over, but when you're playing the Ironman, what are you thinking and how do you kind of see them doing right now? Um, they're going to be strong. They're definitely, they have a, they have a great core. I mean, I would say their top seven dudes could play on pretty much any team out there. Uh, uh, coaching wise, again, I don't know. I know like Shane plays and Shane, you know, he's been around as long as me, probably longer than me. And he's, he's still can play. But again, like I said it before, dude, it is hard to do both. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's, They've got a few egos in there and they've got, you know, they got some guys that are, you know, just cool to do the work. But 
I don't know. I, you never really know what to expect out of those guys. I feel like um, this field layout, Miles Miles probably be dangerous in that that snake on the break. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I could see I could see Miles on one side and Marcelo on the other, and you know, a right up the gut. But it's just uh, I don't know. I can't I can't tell you too much. I don't know those guys like well enough as a as a team to know where they play, but. I think that they'll be fine. Yeah, I, I just think that the Ironman could... Well, when are they going to break out of that shell? It's completely contingent on how quick those younger guys are going to assert themselves you know, in the champions-type mentality, which is really tough. And and I think that some of those guys are coming along. I, I, uh, you know, that Daniel Barr kid, he's really good. Brandon Cornell is like going to be a senior. I think he's a, just finished being a junior in high school. So the fact that he's that good this young is that kid could be a phenom here. Um, so yeah, so I, I don't know. Ironman is just one of those teams that I'm really looking forward to kind of checking out to see how in, in their, uh, evolution, you know, how quick, how are they ready yet? You know, I'm just, I'm not sure. And on this layout, it's going to be, I think this, this layout's going to be the wild, wild west as far as, uh, cause I mean, when you look at that layout, you really could see a situation where one team loses the snake, but then also loses their Dorito side in the fleet. The, the field completely, you know, shifts 180. So, um, did you see that at all in practice? I mean, do you, do you see, think that could happen? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you're looking at, uh, when the A is sideways like that, both, you know, fifties can't see each other. So constantly guys are getting behind each other. And, you know, at one, one time Bobby's in the 50 snake and he just diced two dudes and all of a sudden he's getting shot in the back and he's like yelling at his guys, but it's just, it's not, it's not, you know, their fault. It's just, you can lose a guy or two off a side and it's just wild west. So you're right. It's going to be wild. Yeah, I can't wait to be off the races. It's going to be sweet. <laughs> so, uh, but, so, you know, I rarely have people on the podcast that are as veteran and as, and have as much longevity as you do. Um, so, you know, we, we got to talk about your history because a lot of people don't even know where you came from. A lot of people probably don't remember Image, um, or as good, you know, Avalanche as good as you, they were in the heyday. But where did you start playing? You know, where was kind of, where was Travis's like first, like, how did you find the game? Um, honestly, born and raised in Michigan, uh, kind of grew up through the ranks, driving to Chicago, like every weekend to play Aftershock. Aftershock was like the dominant team in the Midwest. It had like, you know, kind of, it had, it had some Michigan guys on it, but it had like, uh, kind of a eclectic core of, you know, they had Billy Saransky from, you know, Northern California and they had, uh, Danny Love and, Ralphie and it had had a bunch of like just random stud guys on the team and so we were going down there and practicing every weekend and that's actually where I cut my teeth just you know if if people want advice on how to get better it's honestly just go play the closest protein to you just play those guys I mean you're only going to get better by playing better people so um, don't be intimidated don't be you know shy just go in there and and get it done and so that's kind of where i started well did you have like a i mean do were you competitive growing up because it takes a i mean you got to have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder in order to go and seek that battle out because it is intimidating man you know it is intimidating to go and try to not only muscle your way in as from a talent and skill level uh but also just some of these guys can be in especially like aftershock back in the day i mean i couldn't imagine a more intimidating environment to grow <laughs> up in <laughs> if you wanted to get reps you know uh, yeah i mean that's when i'm when i look at players I, I i look for a certain mindset and i i think that that's just something natural you have to be you know i i came around i was 
I thought I could beat anybody. I thought I was the best guy in the world. You know, I want to prove it. I was, you know, I, and I feel like you can't be over the top and, and be cocky and whatever, but you have to have that confidence. And, and so, yeah, I was, that was a little, I was a little confident. Um, but you know, I, 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 when I, when I look for players nowadays, I say, yeah, you know, mentally that guy's not ready because I can see, you know, he's just, he's crushed, you know, he's not boom, boom, boom. You know, like I think Ironmen do a good job of, of, uh, bringing new players in and, and building them up and, and turning them into something where there's a lot of guys that just, you know, they keep their same core and, and you can see their core like destroys the new coming players to the point where, you know, it's, it's you got to do it to a certain extent, but sometimes they just beat them up so much that these guys never develop. And so, um, well, you know, obviously, which is important, but so you're, so you're, so it's what mid nineties and you're playing you're driving from Michigan all the way to, to <laughs> Chicago to go play yep. at the Badlands. Uh, yep. against... I was on uh, I was sorry. I was on a team called Detroit fusion. Did you start on fusion? Yeah, actually, I invented the name. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, so, you know, like you said, well, how did you guys get the balls or whatever to go down and play Aftershock? Well, it was, we were like the best in our little area, and Fusion was just because we took all the, like, you know, the one, two, three guys off of all the local teams, So we took the best, you know, couple guys off all the good teams in Michigan, called it Fusion, and... uh we practice, but you know, again, if you're practicing in a bubble, you're not really developing your skills or learning much. You're just, you know, you get to a certain point and you just kind of stall out. So we knew we had to go somewhere. So we were driving down to Chicago and we did that whole deal for a long time. Uh, we turned pro, um, we won an event or two <laughs> and then, um, you know, we had some, we had some leadership changes and, we, we created a team for like a couple events called Detroit Revolution. And, uh, and again, we won another pro event, which was huge. Um, I was so jealous of Detroit Revolution because that was what, 97, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was 97. And I was jealous because, uh, I came up playing with Navarone, which was the, you know, good San Diego team, but the Ironmen were from NorCal. So we would just get smashed anytime we'd practice the Ironmen or play them in an event. And, uh, and we had a bunch of young dudes, same, same sort of thing you guys had going on over there. And then uh, we started in 97, the old guys on the on Navarone came to me. It was actually at a breakfast at, uh, at, at Orlando the day after the tournament before I flew out. And they were like, yeah, hey, Maddie, um, we want to talk to you because we're going to cut all the young guys except you. So um, if you want, you can stay. We totally understand if you leave. And I was like, yeah, I, I got to go play with these guys. <laughs> and then uh, and then so uh, so then we started a team called uh, the SoCal Tribe similar kind of mentality behind it you know like fusion yep. tribe and then and then you guys had this you know the revolution where you like overthrew the leaders or just decided to leave yep. and then and you guys but you guys actually did okay you know yeah i mean it, it we rode the whole season i think on posey's credit card and he's probably still paying off debt right now but <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was awesome i mean I'm, I'm still friends with a lot of guys who were on the team back in that day and i mean that's the stuff that that's what it's all about right you're just you know you're 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 kind of going out you're doing it on your own and you're you know you're good enough to do it you don't have any money you're, we were like sleeping like all 10 guys in one hotel room and you know like just piling up in rental cars it was 
it, it was it was rough, but at the same time, you don't even know any better because you know you're 17 years old and you're living your dream. So it was cool. But uh, so then, how did Detroit Revolution, or at least a couple of you guys, how did that? How did you guys get hooked up with the Image guys? So we were we were honestly beating pro teams on the reg, and then we had turned pro, and we won a pro event, and you know the the big industry guys that have these you know, these pro deals, you know, that they're sponsored by JT or they're, they're the factory smart part team or whatever. They're, they're literally just calling up our guys and going, Hey, we were super weak in the fact that we had no funding. We were, we were super good, but they were like, I'm noticing a theme here, Travis. Yeah. You need money to, (laughs) (laughs) to keep it together. So anyhow, we, uh, the, the image guys came to us and they were like, Oh yeah, you guys like paying for stuff. Well, how about, you know, free this and free that. And here's some guns and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the all Americans are going to the other guys. Hey, look, dudes, you know, at the end of the season, like, we'll, we'll give you a bunch of stuff and come shopping in the, the smart part warehouse and, you know, just take a shopping cart around and grab shockers and all this stuff. So anyhow, that's, that's what happened. You know, after world cup that season, basically, you know, half the guys went one way, the other half went another way, and uh, I ended up on Image. And so, as a lot of people out there don't realize, like, Image was the one of the very first powerhouse, like, superstar assembled from a bunch of different teams, teams. And then mm-hmm. not only that, just the name itself was, like, you know, incredibly brash and in your face. Like, yeah, we're going to call our team Image. Because kind of like that, you know, it was a joke amongst you know, players at that particular time that, you know, you'd have their, those guys that would show up with like all the new stuff and, you know, it'd be all about image. And then there'd be the guys that were like really good, but then you sometimes had both. And it was like, you guys were both, you know, like you had all the cool stuff, but you guys were super good and all the players were amazing. And also the way you guys played the game was transcendental, you know, like, and, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize where the certain, the way the game is currently played now was formed in certain areas of the world by certain teams, by certain people. And Image was one of those teams. And it's a direct lineage, you know, with you running Infamous and being on, you know, Avalanche, like each era, you know. So in the late, in, in the very late 90s, Image was one of those top teams. And it's a direct lineage to the, the not only the way the game's played today, but also, you know, some of the, the, the trajectories of the players along the way, too. So it's like a very crucial part of history of this sport. And, yeah, uh, we, we you were there. At the, you were there at Ground Zero for that, man. Yeah, we, we the the year they were formed the year before I joined them, and you know it was the Malashevsky brothers, which were all pretty dynamic in their own little way. But uh, you know, some of the guys like this was kind of the era where half your team was good in the woods, and the other half wasn't, and the other half was like awesome on airball, and the other half wasn't, and it was kind of like you needed to have that balance because back in those days, you played, you know three games in the woods and then you'd play three games on some kind of a, they called them concept fields, but it was like either air ball or hyper ball or something with, you know, no sticks blocking shots. But, you know, there were certain of us that really like, I always loved to play like the open sides, you know, whether it was me too, you know? Yeah. So like we, we kind of thrived in that area and an image picked up on that. So Tommy comes up to same deal at breakfast one day we're in, you know, I don't know what event, but he's like, Hey, you, you should come, you know, you should come play for us, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we'll give you the guns and we'll give you that. And we'll give you that. And so that, so then, you know, obviously I pull the guys that I know are, are going to thrive on that team. So, you know, I think it was me and myself, um, 
uh, LB came with us. Andy and Posey both went to like all Americans for like, I don't know, an event or two. And then they came over too, but we had, we had a pretty good little crew over on image. And, and for and people, guys, and again, we got to kind of set the stage here for people listening. You know, this, you're talking about Brian Fowl, which was like one of the best back players ever. And mm-hmm. probably one of the most athletic back players ever. I used to have to match up with LB all the time. And he was a beast. Loved playing against him because it would bring the best out in me. And then uh, Andy Copcock was like this midget Canadian who was <laughs> super quirky and so fun to hang out with. And he was a, a – talk about aggressive front players. My God. Uh, Andy ended up playing with me on the Ironman too. He played for X Factor when it first began. And uh, and he's played on a lot of teams. And then Greg Posey, who went on to play for Shock as well too, you know, and now currently helps coach your team. So these, you know, these are guys that – these are just some random dudes. These are like – ballers you know yeah and and we 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 like me and lb in particular we really liked the way that image played i mean they were like super aggressive like ultra aggressive on the break they would take like the other team's bunkers and stuff they were it was just it was kind of cutting edge and they had the wheels to do it and they had like the brains behind it to kind of put together plans that would make it work so it was a it was a totally cool style to play in um you know and and we did it, and I think we were very successful at it for the you know in the time being. And then uh, I think it was somewhere in my second year. <laughs> again, I was kind of that cocky kid that you know thought I could do no wrong. Well, I think I skipped the practice or something, and they gave me a hard time about it. And um, you know, said, "Well, you're not going to play for us. You're going to skip practice." And I, you know, the very next event I was on the Avalanche, and uh, and honestly, that was probably one of the best decisions of my life because that team was seriously like the rock star era of paintball and it was a ton of fun. They, uh, I met, you know, some of my best friends, whether it was LaSoya or Richardson or whoever. I mean, it was just an absolute blast to play on that team. Yeah. I mean, damn avalanche was, you know, and this was, again, this is when the game was transitioning, you know, and the, in the game had, has always evolved and changed, which is something interesting that I, I kind of find almost comical when, uh, when like, alterations are happening to the fundamental nature of the game and people are like you don't see baseball changing ever football you know they just keep it one thing and it's like dude do you have any idea how far we've come from where we began and it's all been tournament paintball you know like and uh it's like i think the rate of fire change is not going to be as big of a deal as like going from woods to an airball field you know like that's you know talk about like climactic crazy shifts that's a huge ridiculous shift so I think we're going to be fine, guys. It's not going to yeah, don't, yeah, don't no, put the game just yet. It's still going to be fun, um, <laughs> you know. And so, so watching the transition from straight up ten man woods ball, twenty five minute games, uh, and that was the status of of the of the you know top level of the sport to then hyperball emerged in ninety seven and uh, and really started to take hold. So we were playing on you know half hyperball, half uh, half uh, woods ball fields, and then airball came out slightly after hyperball as a refined version of that, just look cooler and look nicer and was easier to film on. And easy, most importantly, easier to set up because um, you could just blow the things up. So then that took hold and that came from Europe. And the whole time we were all, you know, as we were making our way, we were like trying to figure out how to best, you know, formulate game plans, play on that field as the game kept changing. Ten man, seven man in Europe. And then it went to X-Ball and then X-Ball kept changing. And the whole time, you know, the, the transition of players from teams, but there's, you know, you were there for that entire time. And uh, and then on Avalanche, Avalanche was again kind of took what Image was doing, and then 
just put some like 105 octane in it and, and set it on fire, you know? <laughs> just, yeah, that's that's where I actually turned into a bad guy. I was still a front guy on Image, and then when I got over there with those dudes, I was like, they were complete chaos. They, those guys were, I mean, they were talented enough to, to just kind of run and gun and freestyle their whole way through it, but I was like, yo, I mean, somebody has to play over here and protect these dudes and kind of, you know, quarterback these guys. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we have to do this. And they were like, really? Okay, well, you raise your hand, go do it. And so, you know, that's kind of where I ended up being in the back again. But um, What was your favorite time from being on that iconic team on Avalanche? Uh, I mean, there was, a, there was like a full year and a half where we just could not be stopped. I mean, we won I don't know how many events in a row. But it, it felt like we won them all. You know, it was like, I, I, yeah, I kind of know how Dynasty feels because we went and won, I don't know, probably won like six events in a row. And you're just like, dude, this is awesome. You know, you just feel like you're on top of the world. You're traveling around. There wasn't a whole lot back then. We were so much better than other teams that we didn't have to, you know, go to bed early or, or do that whole thing. So we we're out partying all night and show up kind of, you know little red eyes and whatever and go and still just smash guys. I don't know what you're talking about, Travis. I no yeah, idea. I know. And that's kind of where you and I hooked up. I moved to California right about then and, uh, and you know, started working for JT and lived like but, three blocks from me. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, you know, the deal, it was like, I know the deal. Yes. <laughs> that was a, that was a great time. That was by far my pinnacle in, in the sport. It was, it was definitely a cool era to grow up in. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely. So also the, the, the way the games were played differently, it was, or the way the turns were, were structured was different back then. And then to be honest, the competition, I mean, in the, at the, at its highest level amongst the top maybe four or five teams, there was a, a great level of parity. There was a lot of, of, uh, you know, I mean, teams that could win different events. But that being said, you sometimes would be playing, you know, you'd have morning bracket one day and afternoon bracket the other day. And so we'd be going to tournaments. I remember flying into tournaments. And wondering like, okay, who has? I'm, I'm hoping Avalanche has afternoon bracket at the same time that we do, so there'd at least be one night that we could go out and explore that city and and uh, and get ourselves some good stories, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I mean we went out. I think we won like four straight European events, and the Europeans now are pretty good, right? But back then they were on a different curve than we were. We had already been playing tournament paintball for so much longer than them that we had this like. Uh, we had kind of a leg up on them with that. And then the other thing was, is we were playing 10 man, which is much harder than seven man because there's, you know, six more guns on the field, but it was, you know, we were over there and it was just like rolling through them like, like a hot knife. And, uh, so we would go out all night and just rip through dude. That mean, that was, that was a good time for paintball back then. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> was, that, well, it, it all, it also corresponded with, which allowed teams like Avalanche to actually have that adventure was that just as, um, you know, you guys had trained long enough and spent all your time, you know, doing, you know, going to the Badlands and getting mashed on by Aftershock and then working your way up the ranks and being on different pro teams and playing tons of pro events and figuring out how this works at the same time that the sport itself was going through a rapid, huge expansion. I mean, the early 2000s um, was a, a massive time for the, you know, the explosion of the game. 
like double yep. like doubled in participation i think in like a couple years and uh and so that was you know a really huge time and then at the same so a lot of these bigger companies were like oh my god paintball is this huge market we had no idea so money started to get thrown in not not only for teams and players um not it was, still wasn't then what it is now for some of the guys that for teams that are have the a means to pay dudes um, but at the same time, when you're in your you know late teens, early twenties, like this is a dream come true. You're like, well, wait a second, I get to, you know, travel around the world playing paintball. We're really good at this. And just mash on people, and there's yeah, it's oh, this is yeah, okay. Where do I sign? You know, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it was too. Like I was I was going to school, and you know I was in college, kind of like the whole time I was going through image, and then uh, when I graduated college, I moved to New York to take a job, and I was out there and I'm like, okay. And it was, it was in, it was at Crossman, which is kind of like BB gun industry, you know, and they were like trying to get into paintball. So, it, you know, I, I was working my angles in there and then I got offered to take a job at JT and work inside the industry. And I was like, dude, I'm in. And, uh, you know, that, that's how it was back then. If you wanted to be a pro, if you were like, you know, like some of my friends, Steve Rabikoff, for instance, you know, I mean, we were like, we worked in the industry to stay in the industry and that's just how it worked. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the I, – I respect your trajectory through the industry because, I mean, you currently work with Empire and you, you know, very important guy doing important important stuff. And uh, – but you worked your way up, man, through a long time. And you are also one of those guys that, um, you know, you're obviously one of the top players on the top teams. And then – but you also were able to, you know, very intelligently be like, well – I'm really good at this paintball thing. I know a lot about it. I might as well try to get a job in the industry with somebody. And then, but you kept kind of, you know, bootstrapping your way up over time, um, and which is really cool, man. It's a, it's a really awesome success story, I think. Uh, but it, but it involved, but, I, but the lesson there is it involved, you know, I mean, obviously you're a fun loving personality, but you're a hard worker too, you know, so you, you meet a lot of these kids that just want everything given to them and they're not willing to work for it. And that just is not how shit works. So if, it's, if you're one of those people out there, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, your parents should have told you this long ago, but that is not how it works. And, you know, a guy like you is kind of a living example of that. You were able to, to be successful on the field, um, you know, by through a lot of hard work and a lot of travel days and, you know, the right trajectory of picking, you know, hey, we're going to go bite off more we can do constantly until we get as good as we possibly, until we get as good as them. But also, you know, you worked your ass off to, at the same time that you were doing that, to carve a space out in the industry for you. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I don't know if that was my goal early on, but I, I caught it pretty fast. I mean, we were like, we loved playing the sport. We were having the best time of our lives, and we were just like, look, if we're going to stay in this and, and take it as far as we're going to take it, we actually have to work in it. And I think that's kind of like it with any growing industry. You kind of have to, until guys are getting paid and really just living the life of a professional whatever, um, they you know, they stay within the industry and they get jobs, whether it's sales reps or you know, product development or, or art guys or whatever it is. But, you know, it's been a, it's been an awesome journey and then I wouldn't trade it at all. So this kind of leads us right into the formation of Infamous. So you're on after or you're on uh, Avalanche. You guys are crushing it. Um, and then the notorious uh, sniper from the woods incident <laughs> at World Cup. Yep. Talk me through it from your perspective. <laughs> all right. So, uh, I mean, we were literally still you know, living on top of the world. And it, it I think it, you know, it kind of went to certain guys' heads over others. I mean, but it, it was hard to, it was hard to say, you know, it's one person's fault over others. I mean, we were all, 
thought we were larger than life. We're all friggin', you know, winning half the events you go to. And so you're just feeling great and sponsors love you. And you're, you know, you're the personalities that they like. And, and then overnight, you know, we show up at world cup. I think honestly, you play six games in the prelims. I think we had won five already and we're going into like our, we had won four and we're going into like our fifth game. It's, it's like stupid, but one of our guys goes out in the woods uh, and he, you know, and not, not, not the whole, the whole team. I don't know if anybody even, a couple guys may have knew, a couple guys may have not known. I don't know. It was kind of like one of those things where like, he's like, I'm going to go. And we thought he was joking, but whatever it was like, it is what it is. But he went out there and he, uh, you know, shot at the, the other team. And, and then, uh, um, you know, we got kicked out of the tournament, obviously. And that was a tournament we were like, dude, we're going to win that. (laughs) But um, anyhow, that that changed the whole landscape of of how I I was like, dude, what what just happened there? You know, I mean, like it was a very bad, we're living large, we're like on top of the paintball world. And that happened. I was like, dude, I mean, you know, none of us really wanted to even be a part of that team anymore. It wasn't, we loved the team. It was just, it was such a black eye and it was so bad. And you know, when you're just having a good time and somebody kind of says something they shouldn't say, like, that's kind of how it was. It was just like, it was just one of those things. And it was no one said anything. Someone shot from the woods, but it was, it was rough. So the very next event, uh, Richmond approached us and said, Hey, I got this new sport and it's called X ball. And, you know, I know you guys are like awesome at 10 man and blah, 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 but I'd like you to be my factory team for that. And it's called Miami effect. So, you know, we're all like, well, you know, this avalanche thing has a terrible reputation right now because, you know, this, this whole world cup incident was just, it would like rock the industry. And we we're like, this is so stupid. And, um, so we're like, all right, let's do the Miami effect thing. So I think six of us went and created Miami effect. And then, who um, was the original six? Cause I mean, that kind of is, I guess it's not really infamous, but it really is when you track, yeah. track it back, you know, I think it was, uh, me, Masoya, uh, Rusty, LB, Richardson, and I'm definitely forgetting someone. Did Davey start? Was it Lambertson? Was Brandon on the team then? Because um, he wasn't yet, but we got him really shortly after. Well, and what about Davey? Because I remember Davey like uh, ended up getting cut for being an asshole from the Ironman <laughs> or something like that. He may have been original Miami then, Effect, but he was not on Avalanche. So he may have just been in that like whole off-season thing where, you know, like Dave and I were good buddies because I had moved to San Diego next to you guys. Yeah, we're all good and, buddies. It was just one yeah. of those things. <laughs> and so he like was like, I don't know, he got fired from his job and he's like, dude, I'm quitting paintball, blah, blah, blah. And that lasted like two weeks. And I got him out one night and I was like, dude, you should come play paintball for us. <laughs> and so, you know, that's how that works. It's just, you know, one of those things back then. And so, yeah, Davey was definitely on the team and we went, there was all kinds of promises back then for X-Ball. Like they had it, you know, all these polished teams and these big industry guys got involved and they were like starting, uh, you know, fields at their factories. And they were, you know, it was like, it was crazy where people thought it was heading. And then there was Dick Clark and he's promising TV deals. And that went on for a while. And, and at the same time, the MPPL was happening on the sidelines, and those guys were like paying twenty five grand for a first prize. And Dynasty and getting... was just cashing checks <laughs> left and right. 
because they, yeah. they didn't buy the whole NXL mojo. And they were like, well, we're just going to go over here and play against pretty much the, we're going to play against the Tauntauns and smash yeah. them and get and just cash $25,000 checks. It's going to be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still staying in this like what, what was, you know, the top echelon of the pro teams just grinding out against each other and just beating each other to a pulp every single event. And, you know, we're, I think we're playing like 25 minute you know, games. It was and 25 just, minute halves. We had like, everyone oh, had yeah. like 15 dudes on the roster and all the guns were shooting like, and um, this is all no joke. We're not exaggerating at all. 22 balls a second. Like it was just, yeah, it was as lawless as it gets. Yeah. So, so we were, I would say 10 minute majors, pretty, pretty polished when, you know, a year of that rolls around. And at the same time, we got $0, whether you won, you know, it, it didn't matter because like it just seemed like every event you went to you played like i don't know x amount of matches but there was no like winner you just all played for this world cup event and so i don't know it's to, to us who had been on top of the game for so long it just it, it killed us because we're watching you know dynasty and naughty dogs and tauntauns and guys that really hadn't proven their stripe you know it didn't really they hadn't really proven themselves to us yet we're just over in the MPPL, just killing it and just making twenty five grand every friggin' couple of weeks. We're dying, so um, that's where Infamous came from. We talked to our sponsors over and over and over again, and we were like, "Look, man, I mean, we should go over there and play this. You know, they 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 got you know beach venues and they're making money. Let's we got to do this." So then we kind of broke they. The NXL basically said, "Hey, you can't do it, and you'll be kicked out if you do." And, so we just said, "Hey, we're gonna do it. We we can't take it." And so, so we went over there. We played. You know, we won a couple of events. Uh, you were on excessive at the time. I know you were over there. We played you guys a couple times. And then, uh, then all of a sudden, the NXL was just wide open. Anyone could play whatever they wanted. And so we kind of broke the, uh, the picket lines, if you want to say. So it was it was an interesting time for paintball. That's for sure. That was definitely an interesting time because we were in similar boat, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult. I mean, as much as we wanted the TV thing to work out, it, we just didn't really know what was going on. And, and then, uh, you know, it was just, it was tough because yeah, just like you said, we wanted to play tons of events, but that was actually how I got, if that had it's so interesting how like things work themselves out through the channels of fate, because if, uh, if that had never happened, I don't, no, I definitely would have never been able to do that very first Huntington Beach uh, commentating gig because, and the, and the only reason that I uh, that I got that gig was because Will Arroyo couldn't make it, so I was like a last minute audible for the dudes running the event. That would <laughs> that would have never happened. And then also like going back, if you know the sniper incident in the woods would have never happened, then there's probably no Miami Effect. If there's no Miami Effect, there's definitely no Los Angeles Infamous. That's and, true. You know, and so it's it's kind of fascinating how. It kind of looks back and it's like, and I've said this before on podcasts, but it's so true, man. It's like, there's this, uh, there's this documentary, the history of the Eagles. And, uh, and, and before I watched this documentary, if you put a gun to my head and said, Hey, how many, how many, you know, name a couple members of the Eagles. I would have been like, kill me now. No idea. <laughs> but, uh, and this is Eagles, the band, not Eagles, the football team I've definitely told the story. So, you know, fans of the podcast are going to be like, dude, you've told the story before, but it's telling it because <laughs> it's important. So, but, uh, but Joe Walsh, who's like this, you know, the legendary rock guitar yep. god. Uh, he said, now old, reformed alcoholic, the Eagles reforming saved his life. Like, just crazy life story. In, in this documentary, he becomes this, like, 
he's like the deliverer of like the potent message, you know, like that's kind of his role. And one of the things that he says is that he's like, you know, you don't know it at the time, but because um, at the time it just seems so chaotic. But when you get to the end of it, it's like your whole life is this finely crafted novel, you know, and it's like looking back at kind of all your adventures in the game and what could have, could have, would have, should have been if this has happened or that happened. I mean, you know, there would not be an infamous if some of those things didn't happen. So then, so that's how you guys basically formed the team. You left, you went to the MPPL, then it all opened up. And then, you know, you've just been, you're like the last guy keeping the flame lit, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm the last of the Mohicans over here. Um, it's it's sad because, you know, I, I still love all my old teammates and all my old friends. And it was it was bittersweet, you know, seeing LaSoya at the podcast, uh, or not the podcast, the, uh, you know, the PD access, and he's doing the broadcasting and, and then seeing him at the dinner after we won and he was just down there and he's hugging me and he's like, dude, you know, we still got it, you know, and it's just like this whole camaraderie of like guys that you kind of, you know, you grew up and you, you guys won stuff together and, you know, and it's just, it's a whole thing. It's, it's a hard thing to leave, especially when you've been in the sport for so long and I just feel like, the sport has given me so much. I just, I, it's hard for me to leave and, and it's not give back to what, you know, this great sport that's given everything to me. And that's the, I do. That's the takeaway, man. That is so the takeaway. It's just such a unique experience to play on any level of a competitive paintball team because you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about the world, other people. Um, and it just, you can take that to anything that you do. And it's, it's just this incredibly potent thing that is just out there for for anyone to partake in if they you know have the balls and the bravery to do it <laughs> yeah it's 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 awesome and I, and I know there's a lot of guys out there that are you know it, it i get asked more than anything is just how do i how do i be pro or how do i what do i do what do I, how do i get on your team and it's just it's a lot of work but you know in the in the long run you know i could say it's worth it but um it's not for everybody but it's it's definitely been good to me so well, dude, thank you very much, man, for sitting in. I really appreciate hearing the stories and uh, and reminiscing a little bit and hearing the breakdown of the team and some of these other teams. And I wish you guys the very best of luck at the upcoming PSP event. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's kind of one of the big, huge overhanging questions for PSP Chicago is, you know, can Infamous fight their way back? I think so. I think you guys, uh, you know, obviously you got to do the work. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys Sunday morning playing in that semifinal challenger game, uh, you know, trying to win that event. Yep. Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we are working for it, but, uh, we will see come this event if we get out and, um, I appreciate it all the time. No problem. Man. And also for everyone out there, uh, there's going to be a, uh, an infamous little mini doc created about, the disaster and, uh, hopefully reemergence <laughs> of infamous, um, I think it's called bipolar right travis yeah it's called bipolar and it's uh you know it goes from it doesn't show anything of us really winning dallas but it definitely shows us losing mao <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know still i mean it's the it's it's all part of the journey and i i can't wait to see it personally um i think it's going to be really interesting so because uh, that's a i mean that's a really interesting time that they that you just happen to you know have the cameras rolling right at that moment so It'll really kind of be uh, an interesting insight into the mind of a top-level pro team, you know, having dominated and then getting dominated kind of, which is, you know, that's kind of how paintball works, man. Only right. only a couple teams get to win and everyone else loses. But, 
there's always fun to be had, lessons to be learned, battles to be fought. So yeah, you're definitely going to want to check that out. Um, probably be out right around the same time this podcast is coming out. So where are people uh, going to be able to see that? Um, you know, we haven't fully discussed it, but I, I know for sure we'll have it up on our little infamous uh, paintball.com and we'll have it, uh, we'll be sharing it on our Facebook and stuff like that. So, um, which is Los Angeles infamous, but, um, you know, we're, we're still probably a week away from, from getting it fully out. Cool. Yeah. Well, again, dude, best of luck and, uh, definitely want to thank all the people that make this happen. We're trying as hard as we can over here at Paintball Access to, you know, keep the history alive, keep the, you know, the, the current fight as portrayed as, as potently as it possibly be, as possibly as it can. Uh, we need your help to do that. So please spread the word far and wide. Like I always say, help spread that paintball gospel. It's definitely a gospel. And, uh, you know, help us, uh, let people know that June 20 through the 22nd, the best players in the world and best teams in the world are going to be thrown down at CPX Sports. And, uh, you know, help us help the sport, man. We, you know, we're doing all we can with very, very, not a lot of people working their asses off. So, um, we're doing the best we can. So again, thank you guys for tuning in to uh, the Real Dope Podcast, man. We will see you guys next time. Thanks, Travis. Thank you.